Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Okay. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh my God. I'm so excited about it. So the first thing we always say is um, congratulations, Heather Gilbert. You survived theater school. I did. I did. Okay. And you really survived it with a a flourish, I would say. You're kind of fancy and a big deal. (laughs) Is a lighting designer ever really a big deal? Well, in my view. So we talk a lot. The thing that I love about reading about you, and also I know you teach and you're at, but is that... um, there is a, uh, I would say you're a master of your craft based on what, I would say that based on what I've read about you and what I know about you and your successes and also um, your trajectory during school and post-school. Um, like if there's a master of a lighting designer craft, you've, you're you it. So well, thank you. Yeah, it's amazing to look, to, yeah. to read about you. So one of the things, and people also post what you can, uh, for me, I can tell when someone is a badass at what they do because they don't actually have to promote themselves, that other people around them will post till they'll say, oh my gosh, congratulations. So that is a sign that you're a badass is that other people are like um, shouting out your name without you having, you know what I mean? Like you don't do a lot of self-promotion. I don't, I'm terrible at it actually. Which is, which is amazing (laughs) that you, that you're able to, anyway, other people sing your praises, which is, I think is like really what we all want as artists, you know? So, um, yeah. So, um, okay. So why don't you tell me like how you ended up at the theater school, where you're from, like how that went down. Totally. So I, I'm from, I'm from Michigan. I'm also from Texas. I mostly grew up in Texas, like the important years were there. And I was working after, so I went to the theater school for grad school during this super brief period of time when there was a grad degree in design. Um, I was the first lighting designer. I I came in with someone else who only lasted the first quarter. He was like super unhappy he kind of made me, I kind of glommed on to that. And I was like, oh, are we unhappy? I'll be unhappy. Yeah, right. You. I did this complaint about everything. Right. And then he, he left after first quarter. And then it was awesome because they gave me all the things that he was supposed to do. Um, but when I came in, I wasn't, I wasn't interested in the program if I was going to be the very first person without a cohort, a word right. we did not use in 1994. Right. No, there was and no cohort language. Then. There was no cohort. No, we just had classmates. Right. And um, yeah, he, uh, so he, so, but I knew about him and then he ended up not finishing the program. So I was actually the first lighting, master's lighting student since they had left the Goodman. Really? Uh, yeah. And I had, so I'd been working in Houston doing an internship and Kevin Rigdon, who was the, at the time, the resident designer at Steppenwolf um, had come down and did a show. that was a production of Our Town, which ultimately uh-huh. became a very important part of my life, yes. in my adult, in my, yes. my own career. And um, so he came down and did Our Town with Jose Quintero directing. And it was this uh-huh. huge thing. And I thought Kevin was great. I thought he was funny and I loved his work and I was really interested in it. And he was adjunct at the theater school. And he actually told me not to, he was like, don't come, I'm adjunct. And they're just starting this master's program. You kind of want to find a place that's that has more stuff going on. And then when I decided to apply to grad school the next year, for sure, um, I was looking at different places and somebody gave me the advice that you should really look at the people who, design the, te- the the design work of the people that you're going to study with because that's what they're going to teach you. Right. Um, Mark, their aesthetic. Great, great advice. It was, it was really great advice. And the other was to look at the market, right? Like look for a market that you would want to be in. Like you can get an amazing degree in Idaho. There's actually really good programs there, but the market's not there. And right. I'll tell you, I did not realize until I was a college professor, this is so like blind of Blind, the blindness to your privilege, right? right? I did not understand the benefits I had in Chicago from going to school in Chicago uh, until I watched my students graduating into it. In that's when I realized what I could do for them, and I realized what my professors did for me. That is um, so interesting. I mean, I think so. I think we don't um, we don't ever. I I don't know anyone that's really hip. To, maybe kids nowadays or young adults are really hip to it, but like, yeah. I mean, I don't think of 
thinking of like, okay, well, what what is the sort of um, the place where I'm landing and who are my connections there? But I am learning now at 46 in Los Angeles that the people that I'm really connected to here in the industry are all from Chicago mostly. A lot of them are from the theater school. It's crazy. It's so interesting. It's funny. I've been listening to your podcast. Yeah. And what I love is like, I feel like it's the best Facebook ever. It's like, so, cause I'm like, oh, listen to all these hour long interviews with people, all due respect to some of whom I'd forgotten existed. Well, right. Right. You know, like I tumbled down the whole like conversation about the religion and I was like, oh my God, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Like, I knew I knew those people. Right. It's just not my life anymore. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm also shocked. Like we have people on that like remember us that I have no recollection of having conversations with. And I think I always chalked it up to um, excessive drinking back in my day. But like, I think it's just like, you're, that's not our life anymore. Right. We're in a different, it's, yeah. a different lifetime. There's like, yeah, go ahead. I joked that there's like three levels of people. There's like from school. It's like the people that I uh, still know and have to remind myself I went to school with, like, that's the connection. I, there's the people that I that I have no idea what happened to. So I love when they're on your podcast. And then there's the people who are famous. So I think that I know what they're doing. Right. Like I have a feeling. I feel like I know what Judy's up to, but I don't know what she's up to. I just know. Right. That she works the, all the time. And that she works all the time. School, then we went to school with her. Right. Right. It's it's, it's so funny. It's 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 a, such a wild thing. Okay. So you were yeah. like, I'm going to go to. Sh- I'm going to go to grad school. I'm, and I looked at Chicago. I looked at DePaul because I really liked Kevin. Yeah. Um, and then I also looked, I was looking really heavily at Carnegie Mellon. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and it went to, I went to one of those, it's funny, I listened to you guys talk about it with the actors, but I went to one of those like roundup audition interview yes. things in uh, Houston. And I interviewed with both schools at the same time. And Carnegie Mellon was like, well, we've been teaching this class for 20 years. It's a great class. And we've been doing this other thing for 20 years. And it's awesome. And I was like, oh my God, you're so boring. And their program is actually massive and huge and revitalized now. Right. But I think at that moment in time, it was just not. They were had a right. lot of faculty had been there. And then I went to the DePaul one and I talked to John Bridges. Yeah. Who was like, I offer you Chicago. Like, I offer you the energy of John Bridges and Chicago. And I was like, oh, this is so much more interesting to me. Yeah. You know, and then I got lucky because what I didn't know is that John Colbert is like, I call him the Clark Kent of lighting design because he yep. seems super mild mannered and he's like, Superman. That guy is a genius. Oh, really? And a master teacher. And so the fact that I got to study with him for three years and that part of it was him creating curriculum that he felt I needed. Even when, and I have these moments with my students now where I'm like, this is what you need to do. And they're like, well, I don't think that's what I, I think I would do better. I think this is what I need to study. And John would be like, yeah, you need that other thing. You know, I actually, years after school, a couple years later, I applied for a there was a, it's funny, it's funded by the NEA, so you can't call it, a, it can't be a grant or fellowship. It just has right. to be like a program that you're right. on. But it was one where the theater communications group got money from the NEA and uh-huh. young, like early career designers and directors to observe or assist other artists. Because you okay. can't make anything if it's the NEA. That's right. like the rules that came out of all this stuff in the 90s. Right. And um, John called me up and was like, you need to apply for that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally going to apply for that. I was thinking next year. Right. Like, you need to apply this year. And I was like, well, yeah, but see, here's the reason and this and that thing. And he was like, this year. And I was like, but really, I was like, you know, this year, uh, next year, and like, this year. And I was like, this year, this year, I'll do it this year. And then I got it. Was it amazing? It was, it's an interesting thing. It was amazing in some ways. And in some ways it like slows your career down because you have to do six months worth of work within two years and you, for the money and you get paid as you go. Okay. Um, But you don't get to make anything. So it can like become a thing where you're like getting to know these amazing people and working with these amazing people, but you also can't. Um, oh, interesting. Make it, you know, like it slows down like what right. you can do as your right. own artist. I will say though that as I'm saying these words, even I'm thinking about the people that I worked with and how they function in my life. Yeah. Um, and how important they've been, like how important oh. some of them still are. They're still in your life. Wow. Yeah. They gave me an extension on it as well because that was also the time that I I was the associate designer on the first production of Top Dog Underdog. Yeah. And that was a show that they were actually, TCG was trying to get somebody in that room and they were being like, eh, we don't really want somebody to observe us. 
And I got offered to work on it, but I had worked with the whole team before. So right. they wouldn't let me do it, but they let me extend it. So they were pretty generous about like, yeah, I'll be make things happen. Yeah. Wow. So cool. yeah. So okay. then I got into DePaul and so I yeah. came to DePaul. I came and up then, and visited and it was great. And you, you, um, did you work with, was there, did, were you working with someone, a lighting designer at DePaul named Keith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Somebody talked about him. I don't remember if it was you or Gina. Oh, talking about him seeing. Life. Well, talked about seeing the Scott, the Macbeth that we did, that I did with Stacey Cavallaro, who I, who was my best friend from grad school. Oh. Yeah. When I think about grad school, like Shauna Flanagan and I were roommates for years after, but, um, but Stacey and I were super close. We did so, we did full, like so many of our shows together there. And he was talking, was it you that he was telling, that he commented on the costume? No. Gina that was sitting next to him but she was talking about it and she was like and Keith Parham uh and he was like he was looking at it he was like oh my god and I was like I literally was listening to the podcast like oh god did he say something about my lights what did he say what did he say and then it was about Stacy and I was like oh that's so funny yeah well, <laughs> he's one of my close friends still okay so yeah he was the first person that made me really interested in lighting and he, when we closed the show, The Yellow Boat, together, he gave me a, a, a print of his drawing of the lighting, like of oh, the wow. stage with lighting. And I, I have it framed. And it was, I was like, oh, this kind because I think personally that as actors we're we we have this thing of like our ego is like crushed all the time so then we we have a we have a inflated sense of ego really that we have to build and we think that acting is the most important thing and it was the first time in my Lynn that's garbage and the first thing to person to to really say to show me like oh my gosh like this is all part of a huge deal like I am not the huge deal like lighting is everything Thing, it has its place and then we come together but I was like oh this is this is an art that really ties the whole show together like yeah. really and it's like unsung magic and I think a lot of actors anyway just think that the lights appear and that nobody is behind them being the artist creating that at least young actors I'm not young ones yeah yeah young ones so anyway I think you're right about that in well, school it's often but why lighting for you like what is it what was it about that you know it's funny my mother at one point was like having this big guilt thing that she had never encouraged me into it when I was younger but like all of the signs didn't like unless you knew this was a thing it didn't make sense sure I was I loved theater my grandmother studied theater in New York in the 30s really and she, and she taught college yeah she studied with a bunch of amazing people she didn't work professionally but but she would take us to theater right so it was a huge influence for my mother than for me and I loved being an audience member I never wanted to be on stage never say that I haven't been a couple of times and also now that I've like in my <laughs> 50s right um it's so much easier like right. I'm much more willing to jump off the right off the cliff and try whatever because why not what is it going to embarrass me right now I right please please right. if I didn't embarrass myself to death in my 20s I think we're right. good now you're good so um yeah but I I uh uh I just always like things that related to light like I was interested in photography at one point but I loved reading I loved going to the theater I have this I was terrible in high school at trig. I like, oh, I got like the low, I barely got through trigonometry class. And yeah. the second semester of the math track I was on was like analytical or spatial geometry. And it was like, I was a savant. I was like, that's what that 3D grid looks like. I can see that thing in space. And I could answer, and my, my teacher and I were both like, what is up? How do I know this? Right. So I just really have a good sense of space. And so if you look at the combo of all those things, they all really go together into lighting design if you if you know that thing. So when I went to undergrad um, in San Antonio at this small college, Trinity University, super liberal artsy, sort of the opposite of your, <laughs> your, your uh, what do we call them? We call academic classes. Yeah. Academics. I feel like we did. But they, um, it, I, it was academic. like really, yeah, academics. Um, I really was, I had a lot of intense, like philosophy classes and religion classes, all super helpful for the career that I have. Um, but I also, um, my first semester took a intro to theater class and I loved the lighting. And in the second semester we were, I had to register dead last, like first year dead last, you can't get anything. And a friend of mine that was in my theater class was like, well, I'm going to, she was going to be a high school drama teacher. 
Um, her name's Emily Goodpasture, and she decided that she was going to, and so Gilbert and Goodpasture registering last. She was like, I'm taking this lighting class because I know I have to take all of the design classes and the acting classes for my future career as a drama teacher. And I, I think you should take this lighting class with me. And I did. And then throughout college, I would do other things, but I kept coming back to lighting. I just, I love the magic of the way light reveals form. I love looking at tons of different kinds of light bulbs. Um, you know, my friend wants me to become TikTok famous and support us by uh, telling people how to light their homes. Well, here's the thing that I, I actually, when you just said that, I have to say, like, I was like, oh, I wonder what she thinks about filters and, and TikTok and the way people use light. And could, um, do you look at photos and videos and things and say, oh, that would be so much better if you just lit it like this? Are you able to, do you do that? Oh, for sure. I mean, I definitely, yeah. Most things in my life revolve around, you know, I always laugh because I still go in theaters and look up at the lights. And people are like, oh, I saw you looking at the lights. And I'm like, do you look at the actors? Of course I look at the lights. I'm trying to figure out like the craft of what they did or, you know, or what the equipment that they got to work with was. And yeah, but I can't, even though I could probably find another career with lighting that is so much more lucrative. And I'm sure that that is true. Right. The best part of my job for me still is that every day when I go to work in theater, actors tell stories in front of me on stage live. And that is my favorite thing. I love going to plays. I love seeing performance and I love it live. So the fact that I get to be connected to that in some way and another character in that for me is really awesome. That's fantastic. And I, I've never thought about it that way that like, I mean, obviously I've thought about that that the lighting is another character, but um, again, it's like there are, uh, there is a human and maybe a team of humans behind that character. Mm -hmm. And that it, that you enjoy hearing the live stories being told. Um, and that's why the theater versus, you know, film and TV, right? Like it's not, I mean, I guess you could still, it could be live on set, but like you wouldn't be like the designer of a show. I don't even know how it works on television and film. Like the lighting people, is there a lighting designer behind film and TV? There aren't, no. And because there's so many more people on a film I, and or television, there's yeah. more people encompass the single jobs that we do in theater. Um, oh, but okay. the DP, it'd be the DP and the grip. Right. Right. Um, and, that's and, the, and then editing is also a part of what we do. Right. right. So, so all of those things sort of come together in that way. It's funny, David Swayze, do you remember David yeah. Swayze? Yes. He, so he's in film now and he's doing oh. super well. Yeah, he's an art director in film. And uh, and we have not kept up. We keep up actually better than I do with a lot of people, but it's been a couple of years. Yeah. He, uh, even with the pandemic, it's been a couple of years. Yeah. He he was talking one time about what he loved about doing um, television or film. He's specifically yeah. film. And the thing that he loves about it is that it's, it's so immediate and you can make changes. So like you can say like, oh, we need to, we, instead of doing it this way, we think this would look better. And you can yeah. actively do that thing, which in theater, Set designers can't do that, but the rest of us can. I was like, you're talking about lighting design. Right. I can make the change in the instant. You know, sometimes I have to say, I have to hang a light for tomorrow. Um, But sometimes I can be like, hang on, my moving light will do that for us right this second. You know, so I get to, I get to, it's funny though. We were like super technical or technological. And then all of a sudden it was like projections and sound, which were, you know, a slide projector and a, and a, you know, mini disc yes. jumped us and they can craft in the room and we still can't craft in the room in the same way that they can, which I'm actually kind of grateful for. I like that we get to say like, we're going to think on that. We're yeah, let us go away and think on that. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Cause I, I, yeah, I like the idea too of, um, you're, you're like a problem solver. Oh yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love problem solvers. I think that they're really great to have in a room because um, I think it teaches everybody that like there are mysteries to be solved in the theater and there are people that are trained to solve them that aren't me and they, and that we can work together, but problem solvers, we need the problem solvers in, in rooms, in the theater. Like, it's fantastic. But, you know, it's interesting. We solve different problems. Problems. Like I was, uh, years ago, we have this event on the last day of the semester 
um, second semester at Columbia called yeah. Manifest, which is this massive arts festival. It spills onto the streets. We have puppet show, puppet parades down the street. And we have, it's really fantastic. Photography has like huge what? gallery I mean, exhibits. So and cool. It's super fun. This school is crazy. Um, and I love it. And years ago, it poured down rain. And they had had this thing that they were going to do. This is pretty, <laughs> so long ago that uh, I think it was 2009, actually. Um, it poured down rain and they'd had this event that they were going to do called Mana Text. And they were going to, people could like submit their phone numbers and they would text and be like, go to this stage. And you'll, if you're the 10th person you're there, you'll get a thing. And texting was still like, we, it wasn't certainly not the the way we lived our lives. Right. Right. Back and then. Yes. It poured down. And as soon as it pours, like we had an outdoor stage and I always, I, I produced it for the department and I, thank God I don't have to anymore. Uh, but I, I had, I always kept the stage free inside uh -huh. so that it, if anything happened, we could move it in. So we moved everything in and we didn't have lights up in the theater. And I, so I walked downstairs and I started hanging some lights and doing some things. And I was working with, oh, this is funny. I was working with Kendra Thulin. Oh yeah. She was working with me on that. Because Kendra and I worked together. Again, somebody I almost forget I went to school with. Yeah. And so I started hanging the lights and everything. And she's just staring. Like, she can't do it. And my kids walked in. My students walked in. And I was like, okay, here's what I need you to do to finish this up. Do this, do this, do this. Hang that. Get these gels. These from the sides. This from the front. I'll see you guys. They were like, great. And Kendra and I walked out to do something. And she was like, that was amazing. Yeah. And I was like, it's what we know how to do. Yeah. And then five hours later, Manatext has fallen apart. They can't figure out what to do. And I'm standing there. I've got these two season subscriptions to the department, which I'm pretty sure were free anyway back then. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with these? And I turned, they were doing a musical theater thing. And I turned to a couple of musical theater students and I was like, get these to an audience member somehow. They went on stage and made this hilarious, adorable competition that was like a trivia thing, like trivia about musical theater. Right. And they gave them to the winner. And I was like, we all, I, my yeah. students would have turned to the human next to them and been like, you want these, you know, that's why we're all together. That's why uh, Columbia administration is constantly like, you're, you have too many majors in your department. It's so unwieldy. And it's like, because it takes a lot of people to create an entire world. It really does. That is really true. And everybody solves different problems. Yeah. Like nobody, that it does, it does, it does take a bunch of people. That's really interesting. And then when you graduated, mm -hmm. what did you do? Like, were you like, I mean, really your career kind of took off. I mean, you're, you're pretty fancy lighting designer. So how did you, did you just like love it and people loved you and you started getting jobs or like, how did it work? Yeah, there were a couple stages in it. I, you know, and I, it's funny, I did the big funk. And what's hilarious about that to me is that when we did it, I was like, where are we? We are in the front end of someone's apartment. It is bizarre. The people live here in the back of this place and they're letting us do a play in the front. And like, flash forward, I don't know. 15 years. And I, uh, I am friends with those people. Amazing. <laughs> and in some moment in conversation, I was like, that was your place that yes. I did that weird show, the show with the weird lights in the cans. Yes. Like, um, so I started doing storefronts and I, I had started assisting at Steppenwolf while I was at school. So I had a, I, at the time that I was in school, I had a, a foot in both, yeah. um, both camps. And so, um, it is, I definitely, yeah, I definitely was splitting my time. And so I started doing more assisting at Steppenwolf. And in the fall, he'll never hear this, the fall right after graduation, I assisted somebody who's sort of well-known to be difficult uh -huh. in the business of lighting uh -huh. design. And for whatever reason, we absolutely hit it off. And he is like my brother today. Uh, and so I started traveling with him. I started working on projects all over with him. And because he was difficult, theater companies would bring me to projects uh -huh. that they wouldn't necessarily bring an assistant on normally yeah. Yeah. because they, he's really, he's like the best in the business, but they knew I could handle him. And they yeah. knew that I could handle him by saying, I need you to leave the theater right now and I'll take yeah. care of things while you simmer down. Yeah. Um, and so we, I would go to, I went to New York with him starting in 1998. I assisted, um, actually my second Broadway assisting job was with him. My first one was from Steppenwolf. So I simultaneously was with Steppenwolf and him. And so my assistant career was like really amping up. And I was in these important rooms, like yeah. watching Susan Laurie Parks and George yeah. Wolf create Top Dog Underdog with, uh, at the time, the first production was Don Cheadle and Jeffrey Wright. And yep. then those deaf replaced Jeffrey or replaced Don. 
Um, and so I was getting to do a lot of those really awesome things. And simultaneously, I was doing storefront. Right. Um, and, and honing my skills and building my skills and knowing how, like I could watch the people I assisted make these massive shows with so much stuff. And I would think about those ideas. It's exactly what they tell you to do at the school. But yeah. And then I would go back into the storefront with 17 lights and yeah. some candles. And I could make something that was really interesting because I had a much stronger sense of how equipment worked. Yeah. Um, you know, Keith always says that his graduate school was assisting for the years that he did. And he particularly assisted this amazing designer named Jim Ingalls. And he's like, that was my grad school because I learned how to use our tools yep. and then how to pull back from them. That's um, and, so, and how did you get, I think for people listening, they're going to be yeah. like, well, how, how did she get to assist at Steppenwolf? How did she get in the room at Steppenwolf? It was that guy, Kevin, the one that was my, you know, he taught us. But he, I, he knew I came up here and I reached out and I was like, I really, I want to have, um, you know, I, I want to work with you. I want to learn from you. And he, it's funny because now he's in Houston. <laughs> I met him, but he is, uh, he was great. And my second year, because the guy I came in with, dropped the program my second and third year I was all alone like my right. classes were by myself and so what John would often do was put me in a class with someone else so that like there was a for some reason the third year BFA lighting class in my second year only had one lighting student so we paired for the class yeah in the class time we had somebody to sort of like riff on and talk to right. and our levels were different but a lot of the projects that we did like we spent one full quarter just in the light lab which we yeah. usually most semester most years we did just making projects and like wow. here's a song like the song by next week here's a musical theater song you you're lighting it as if it's musical theater somebody on there like something has to represent the chorus physically visually Holy something has to represent how do you how do you actually change the song as if it's a stage and we had like little blocks of wood and like little people and things that we would put up and make these vignettes and so she and i were just sort of at different levels on that but kevin was the teacher and it was i actually had a one-on-one -on -one with him and he said at the beginning of the year he's like i just want your your resume is going to look good when you finish this class and that was crazily enough, it was the 20th anniversary of Steppenwolf. So I was the second assistant on Buried Child. Oh my gosh. That Gary Sinise directed. Yes. I worked on Every Man that Frank Lottie directed. Yes. I worked on uh, The Libertine that Malkovich uh -huh. was in. I did, I, I was an assistant, second assistant on all of those shows. And then by the fourth show of that season, I ended up the first assistant who, who stayed with him for a while, but was sort of grooming me to be the next step. And yeah. that's how that sort of works sometimes. It's like we, our assistants move up and become yeah. our full peers. And then we, we right. train somebody else up in that way. And I, by the fourth show, I was actually getting paid while I was doing it for credit at school. So I think in those days, I wouldn't have gotten in trouble for it. Today, they would be like, what, what? Right. But, uh, but then you were like, yeah, yeah you, you. Also, they didn't know. Right. <laughs> It was, they weren't keeping track. Uh, that yeah. is so cool. Yeah. So I got to do that. Yeah. And then, and then did you, um, did you, what was the journey like to, did you live in New York? Like, did you live in New York ever full time? I, not full time. I spent okay. a lot of time crashing on David Swayze's uh, spare, like his studio floor. I did a lot of that Okay. Um, for many years and, and other friends. Um, New Yorkers are particularly skilled in the art of letting you stay with them. Yeah. Um, and so now, I mean, I joke that I'm the Heather Gilbert School for Wayward, or Heather Gilbert uh, Home for Wayward Chicagoans, because I, there's so many people who move out of Chicago and come back to do a show. Yeah. And I let them, I let them live in my spare room. My friend Samantha, who's a, this brilliant costume designer, I mean, for like two and a half years, we were like, she was like my my roommate. She came and went. Um, I have somebody coming on the Saturday after Thanksgiving while she does a show. You know. Because I feel like I'm giving back for all those times that I crashed in New York. So I did Absolutely. a fair amount of assisting and stuff there. I've only, I guess I've only designed about three times there, actually. One of them was pretty significant. So Yes, clearly. Let's talk about yeah. that. Let's talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So what, how did that come about? What, what, yeah, that journey of like, so, yeah. My other job in grad school was I was bartender. Oh. Um, I, yeah, I used to bartend at a place called Bar San Miguel up on Clark Street. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was a non-equity bar. And I started bartending there after, I guess after our second year. It's funny, during that huge heat wave of 95, I went there for the first oh, time right. with, with Chris Freeberg and Kate McKernan. Yes. And a year later I was working there. And um, and David Cromer used to come in there because it was the other bar and I met him there. And so our relationship started 26 years ago. Holy shit, as a bartender you know? and a patron? Yeah, that's how we met. 
That's amazing. Um, yeah, he loves that. I think he loves that that's part of our origin story because it's funny when we when he tells it yeah. or writes it like in a letter of recommendation or whatever. Yeah. And um and we didn't work together until 2003, but we'd known each other. At one point, we quit smoking at the same time. And at one point, that was like the most significant thing. And then all of these things that we've done have happened since. But now I'm also still thinking that maybe the most significant thing that we ever did together was quit smoking. That's fantastic. You know, like that is very significant. And it also, um, you did it together and it's a real bonding experience when you quit something like that together. Yeah. It was tough. It's been, it's been, it's been 19 years this year. Congratulations. So we started then, and that was the moment also that like I did a show with him finally, right. and we did this miracle on 34th street that we all like, were super in need of money at Christmas time. And he wrote this adaptation and it starred Tracy Letts, which we think is like the funniest thing in the world now. Um, and so we did that show. And then when I started, and then I started teaching shortly thereafter and well, I started, did. I did. And I went to LSU for two years in Baton Rouge. And when I came back, because I loved teaching, I yeah. love students, they're the best thing in the world. Higher education can make you want to pull your hair out. Sure. And state schools are often really like that if you're in the arts. Yep. So it was a struggle, but I came back here to Columbia, which I had only vaguely known of when we were in school. And that's, I didn't know that everybody who got cut came here until I was teaching yeah. here. Yeah. And then it was funny because when I would, they, I don't remember when the cut system stopped, but whatever point it did, um, was after I started here because you would be doing like this summer sort of advising with incoming students. You do your, your couple of sessions in the summer and kids would come in and their credits would be this really weird number. And I was like, I don't understand why that's not three credits, but it's, it was like 2.1.33s and 2.32s. And it was it, it sort of like thirds, but not even always. And I, uh, and I found out that was the, that was the sign of somebody who was cut from the theater school because it was the theater school classes that were those year long things. Right. Trying to fit them into semesters. Right. 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 Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. That's what happened to everybody who quit. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so I, but David taught here. And so we, we started teaching a collaboration class together. Oh, really? I didn't know yep. that's cool. For directors and designers. And so then we were going to do a show here at school together. Um, but he, and we started the process and we were like, live, we got to live what we teach. We got to, we got to, we got to collaborate like that. Mm-hmm. And we, he had to pull out of the show because he took adding machine to New York instead. And then he came home from adding machine. And that's when he had been talking about our town that he was going to do with the hypocrites, which was, I worked a lot with the artistic director of the hypocrites. I had, I had a long relationship. I, I mean, he's still my friend. He's just Sean Graney. Sean Graney. Sean and I, Sean was simultaneously, the two of them were sort of like my biggest income. Yeah. My income through them. Right. And so I, so, but I wasn't a part of the hypocrites. I was eventually, I was not at that point. Right. And he, uh, he kept talking about the show, but he had to ask the resident designer, but the resident designer, who's my sweet friend now said no. And I, they brought me onto our town and you know, it's sort of like the rest is history. Like we, David and I have a long history at that point and we have a, we had a friendship, you know, but we now, you know, we had like the, let's, let's, you know, talk on the phone and watch Dexter in the middle of the night friendship yeah. a little bit before that. But we now, you know, have done, I think I, t- I counted when we opened bug last week and I think we've tacked 16 shows together. Um, and, and some of them have been really life-changing for both of us. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That is fantastic. And the, yeah. and I feel like if you find a collaborator that just, I'm recently have, have started working with someone that I just, but I, I work with Gina and then I work with other people, but like when you find someone like that, where you, you just, uh, it just works out. Like it just works. Mm-hmm. There's something about it. The only thing you can think of is like, you know, it is some sort of, it almost feels like some kind of cosmic thing that comes together that you are able to do great. You can uh, facilitate each other's great work without ending the relationship and having crazy, you know, fights and things that don't lead to total destruction. That's magic. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because directors go, I I think they probably do this to actors too. If they have a deep relationship more than anything, they ghost us, right? They're like, they just stop calling and right. you're like, come on. Right. And Kramer at one point was in New York and working with new people and our town had come to a close. Right. Um, which, cause that sort of kept us together for a long time. We did that show that was over, over a seven year period of time yeah. in all the venues. Yeah. And so we, 
we had a, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd had a connection and we had done a couple of other new shoot, new shows within that time. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't just our town. Right. And then we'd done our streetcar that was really successful. Um, and, uh, that Sam Rockwell was in. Really? Isn't that crazy? I did a person with Sam Rockwell. Yeah, you know, he was so lovely. I, I he came up and was like, "Oh my god, the lighting is so beautiful." Oh and I was my like, gosh. Oh. So I was. I mean, in you're our- in it. So how do you know? But well, right. But he. But even to say it, you know, yeah. like what a sweetheart. Yeah, I was at a wedding with him because he was in a, a a movie with my boss, and uh, he was lovely, a lovely yeah. human, and like a pro, like a yeah. real yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um. So I get so excited for him now all the time. I know. Um, so, but we had, you know, David actually sort of like wasn't calling. And I was like, oh, are we not going to work together anymore? And it's funny because I think in the history of our lives, it will, it, it's actually a blip, but it felt like a long time. Sure. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's okay. Like lo- relationships do shift and, and partnerships do end. Nobody Absolutely. works with somebody forever. Absolutely. But I was like, I actually, we are, I am, you know, I was not a Columbia kid. I'm like, I am a DePaul kid in a thousand ways, but yeah. I did work. I do teach at Columbia and I am a Sheldon Patinkin person. Yeah. I'm one of his people. And Sheldon taught you, you see each other's shows. That is what we do for each other. Right. And I was like, I'm going to still see your shows. Right. We, we have way too much of a history. Right. For our friendship to die because we're right. not, to, we're not doing shows right now. Right. So I kept, I stayed around. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to come, I'm going to see your things. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go see the band's visit, or I'm going to go uh-huh. also, I get to see the band's visit then come right. on. Right. Um, or I'm going to see your come back little Sheba with yeah. Derek Hasenstab in, in Boston, because I yeah. love that, you know? And so when the time rolled around, um, I found out he was doing a production of next to normal uh-huh. at writer's theater. And I love that show. And I had done a production of it that I kept texting him being like, Oh my God, I wish I were doing your production of this. Not that right. I didn't think that one was great, but it right, was much but... more of the sort of flash and trash version. Right. And I wanted to see David's version where there's like a dining room table and people around it. Right. You know? And I just, I was, so I texted him as soon as I heard from our friend Lillianne, I was like, I want to do the show. And he woke up the next morning and he was like, texted me back. It was was kind of a non-David text. I was like, this is very specific and kind. And he's listing these things. But he was like, these are the, I I woke up this morning and I saw your text. And I called Michael Halberstam, who was still the artistic director at the time. And said, we have to hire Heather for the show. And he said, okay, but we already hired Keith. And I was like, I fucking knew it. I knew I was going to be too late. I'm reading this text. And David's like, and I screwed up. And these are the reasons why. And he was like, writer's theater is our theater. It's our place, which just yeah. so you know, he's done as many shows with Keith there as he has with me. Yeah. But he went through and he was like, gave me the reasons that were really lovely. And then he said, Williamstown is going to reach out about a show, Adam Rapp's new play. And I was like, Williamstown? Really? They pay nothing? <laughs> why is that my consolation prize? I was right. totally annoyed. Right. Um, and then the Williamstown production was a struggle. Like we did this, the, by the way, the play is The Sound Inside because we have not said the name of it if anybody's listening. Um, and we, so we were, it was a struggle. Um, sure. You know, you have to do it very quickly. Uh, it's a big play for yeah. uh, for the the lead actress in it, or the yeah. actress in it. And um, and it was a struggle for her. She, she definitely was acting out a little bit. Yeah, sure. And, um, and so, and you don't have much time and you're doing it with people right. who are, you know, these interns that it's yeah. sort of famously a conversation in the industry right now about right. specifically how Williamstown treats those interns. Oh yeah. So you're feeling guilty and also they don't know what they're doing as right. well. Whoa. So there's a lot of pressure on that. Right. Um, and I loved it. I loved that play so much. I read that play and I was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. It's this beautiful play about what we do when we're in need in our loneliness. And it's just... It's just, it just hit me. I don't know how Adam Rapp, who's this like hyper alpha masculine male yeah. actually has that insight into, I think because it's insight into humanity yeah. and thus he can change it into, he's like, well, women feel the same thing men do. We're right. not, we're not different creatures. Right. So yeah. Wow. And then, and then the show moved to New York uh, a year later um, to Broadway to Studio 54, which my God, I got to crawl around in Studio 54. They That's took me so all over that building. I was like, show me everything. Where did they keep the drugs? I'm so curious. Right, right. Um, yeah, and we, uh, I went up into the, there's a dome and I got to go up into the dome and look down into the space and see where they store all the lights. And I got the full tour one day. It's great. The crew is the best crew in the entire world. And we did this beautiful play and people were, you know, it's funny. I, I actually was just, I submitted an application last night 
11.58 p.m. Uh, for full professorship. Like that's the highest level of, of teaching here. Yeah. Um, and when you get tenure, you have to apply for that. But then once you've got it, you actually don't have to apply for anything, a promotion past that. Yeah. So I finally have committed to doing it. And so uh, it's funny, I've been thinking so much about my philosophy of lighting and the way I approach it. Um, but one of the things is that there's that old saw, if the best lighting design is lighting that can't be seen, which is just a load it's crap junk anywhere like any in any scenario like it's right. to, like to say like you and i can't see the light where we are right now right like, we see it we know right. it's there what they really mean is if i chain if i break the rules of the reality that i set up for you and notice that that's bad lighting design yeah right right it's like it's i i was compared to like Weirdly, as a lighting professor, I had Meisner in this paper that I was writing, this document I was writing, because it's like, it's that idea of living truthfully yes. in imaginary circumstances. It's the same thing for us. We're creating those circumstances right. and we're trying to make it so that the actors can live in truth. Right. And everything has, and if, we're, if the rules are light comes out of the floor, right, and it changes when I take a step, as long right. as I, as long as we create those rules for the audience. Right. And, and train them, they know what it is and then they follow it. Yes. Yes, you know? we'll go with you. It's consistency, it's authenticity, it's telling the truth in the moment, and um, yeah, staying yeah. staying true to what the 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 vision is, whatever that vision is. But yeah, it also reminds me of like good, good lighting is shouldn't be noticed or whatever. It's like yeah, women should be seen and not heard. It's totally. kind of like fuck off. Totally. I was talking about something about myself too, and I almost was talking about leadership, and I almost said you know because I was called bossy as a child. And now we acknowledge that that just meant I was a leader. Yeah, right. It like, just meant that. And, you know, it's interesting because my recollection of you in college was that you knew what the hell you were doing. Now, granted, I I mean, everyone has different, you know, I'm sure you didn't always know what you were doing because you're a human being. But, like, my yeah. recollection of you is that you were, like, I think maybe because also you were a grad student, right? So, mm -hmm. but you um, definitely had vision. You were someone that I was like, oh, they know what they're doing and, and why they're doing it. So there was this thing about you that I really felt from the little I knew that like you had motivation or like a, um, a direction and also a curiosity, but, and a, I just, I just think you were like very early on, like a master of your craft, which meant that also masters in my view, like really study and take the shit seriously and have a lot of pride in their work. That was it. Like not a lot of people had a pride. I mean, I can speak for myself. Like it wasn't like I, I felt like you could stand behind your work. I've always felt that like when I read stuff about, about you or like when I follow your career, it's like you stand by your work. That's fucking phenomenal, you know? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I feel like a lot of that was also the training that we were getting in the in the design program because we had we had such good professors, particularly John. Yeah. We we, we had um, uh, Franco Colavecchio was there for two years. Right. Who was the most wonderful, crazy human in the entire world. He would like literally like you'd be drawing in the studio yeah. and he'd be like drawing on something. And we all learned that you had to keep tracing paper yeah. over, uh, which, we call which is something called trace really. But we yeah. would we would have trace taped to our drawing board so that the minute he sat down, you could throw trace over it or he would just start drawing all over your drawing. And, but he would like nudge you off your chair while he was like fixing your drawing for you. And you'd suddenly be standing there watching him doing your work. And you were like, maybe, maybe not, maybe, maybe I'm in school. Maybe I want to learn how to do that. He was so funny though. So great. Hilarious. You know, and then, but then John Colbert has, is like really like taught us like the, the, that you have to be able to justify the work, that you have to understand the rules of the piece that you, and the rigor that goes behind that. And Nancy Bula, who was the same, who was just this amazing, wow. she's the, Brilliant. She used to let, um, she used to let you do your project again to get your grade up a little bit. And I would get like a B plus on something for her and I would do it again. And it wasn't even that I really needed, like I wasn't. No, you wanted the great. I wanted her to think I was work. I like I needed her to have that belief in me. She, she, there was something. So she costumed me and said, um, she just, she was so affirming and also like, you, you, um, there was something about she, I, she made me believe that she knew that I was going to be okay and that I was going to be a professional and that I could 
do it. Like there was, it was amazing. It was so much, there was like a strong confidence that she instilled in me as a costume person, which I, I just felt, again, she stood behind her work too. Like she was a badass. Like there was no like uh, apologizing. There was no apologizing. And I feel like we just spend so much of our lives, or at least I have apologizing that when I see someone like a career like yours, I'm like, oh, maybe this comes from not apologize, like maybe not apologizing for, for us as women, as in our work, you know, like this is badass work I'm doing and I'm going to continue to do it. I don't know. It's just a fierceness, yeah. you know? Well, for me now too, I feel like the thing that I'm proudest of in my, in my age and in my success yeah, is that I no longer feel like the pressure of having to be complete on the first day of tech. Like, I'm like, I'm going to put an incomplete thing up there and I'm going to start to see how light is moving on these people and what that does. And I know it might not look good, but I'm not going to worry about that. Right. It's going to be okay. Right. You know, I'm going to be able to, I know I will make it look great. I know I can. I know that what I put up there right, for the first draft is going to be the right first draft. Yes. Because I know what I'm doing and right. I know that it doesn't have to be complete. Right. And and I'm fine with that. And like David is really great for that because he has no expectations of that either. You that's know. fantastic. I mean, that's like really the difference between being product oriented and process oriented, right? Yeah. As an yes. artist. And like for me as a writer, like writing for TV, my first draft, if it's not, it's it's terrible and it's exactly where it's supposed to be. But if I have expectations or get in my own way and feel self-conscious about it, the whole thing is, it doesn't work. So it's like, this is a shitty first draft. And by shitty, I mean, wonderful. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's yes. the same thing. It's a wonderful it's, first draft. Right. It's right. never supposed to be the final thing. Totally. Right. We were also taught at school that because we don't stick around for the product, right? We're not part of the product. We, I mean, we are, we're making a right. product. Right. But because we're not ever, once the product goes, our, our is there, we're gone from it, that we need to be really process oriented. So great. And that, that our process is what's going to get us hired. That is it's so amazing. aspect of working with us. Oh, I love yeah. that. And I, I yeah. feel like if we could, if, if we, I wish I would have learned that more and I'm not, I don't blame anyone for it. I just think it's the way the life is, but like, I'm, that's what I think I've spent my adult career as an artist becoming more process oriented and less product oriented and less, um, and less, uh, judgy, right. About my and other people's process of, of like, it doesn't look the same. And so I think when you find a collaborator, which it sounds like David, what is for you that is also in the, in the same sort of, uh, thought process in terms of how art is created, that's what works because you're both sound like you're like, no expectations for the first thing to be the right. thing. Like it changes, it pivots, it moves, it's moving. That's it's yeah. breathing and moving. And I think that that's probably why your work together is so powerful and profound is that you both have this uh, view, life view, right, of art that works together really well, right? So, and I found, find when I find those people, those are the people I want to stay with and work with, you know? Yeah. And I think too, like one of the things, getting back to sound inside and yeah. David is that like, I, the thing that people often comment on is my use of darkness on stage mm. that I actually commit fully to it, that I don't have a problem having actors speak from the dark. And I did the first time I ever had something that was really dark. I was like, Oh God, right. like, you know, you're taught that that can't be funny. Right. People actually laugh at things they hear in the dark. It turns yeah. out. Um, yes. And so, but so being able to like be tiny and focused and just have a little bit of light you know, and Sound Inside became that piece, which was like, we created, the premise of the play is that this um, professor um, is telling the, talking to the audience and we don't really know what that's about. Like, I don't know. And I don't know the answer to that because I almost felt like knowing, the, like, we don't want the audience to fully know. Right. And I felt like if I know too much, then I, it may manifest. And so I never, even though Adam Rapp became, I tell him that he's the brother I didn't get. No offense to the brother I did get. Yeah. Um, but I love Adam and I can ask him anything and talk to him about anything. But I have never asked him the truth of the play, which is, is it happening? Is it right. real? Is There's it a real? character that we question, is the character even real? Is she writing a book as she talks to the audience, this character of Bella, this college professor? Or is she, or there's a reference to a book at the end of the play that yeah. you're like, did she steal that book from him? Right. Um, and a lot of that was taken, there were a lot more concrete parts of the story when we did it at Williamstown and they were taken out for the Broadway production to let the audience sort of float in their own uncertainty more. 
Um, and so the idea is that Bella, this character who, who is this professor is actually the only fully fleshed out part of the play at the beginning. And that we slowly reveal the world as she creates it, as she's yes. sort of illustrating it. Yes. Um, and so that actually gave me the ability to have this production that was like using little amounts of light, a lot of darkness, like I like, but also was in a way flashy because we'd have like a big window on the side, on the wall of the set. And then all of a sudden it would shift like instantly into a different time of day and the shape of the window would change and the color of the window would change, but it was all very graphic. And then eventually within these like sequence of scenes in this office with this window, eventually the final one was this massive projection of a very real window. Wow. So, and so I got to work and I worked really closely with the projection designer who is the handsomest person in design. His name is Aaron Ryan. If you ever meet him, you're going to be like, I didn't know that designers looked like that. I thought only actors did. Wow. Yeah. And he's the best dude in the land. I love him so much. So, so, so. I guess, yeah, being mindful of your time, I just want to ask you if you, because we do have a lot of younger folks that listen mm -hmm. to the show and that are interested in um, uh, careers as designers, um, not just actor, you know, now there's like such a, we're trying also to shine a light on designers because it's awesome. Right. We don't, I mean, acting is not the only name of the game here. So it, um, what would you say if someone came to you and said, Hey, I'm interested in the theater. What does a, what, what kind of person do I, it's kind of a hard question, but what kind of person do I need to be to be a designer? Um, How do I know if I'm a designer, Heather? It's so funny. I actually am really conscious of like the personality uh, quirks of designers because I watch it so much in my students. Right. Um, and it's interesting because I am, I can't make a, I cannot build a model. I could not build a model. I always hated it in school. And it, but it's this really sort of detailed private work. And I'm a much, I'm super extroverted, which that doesn't mean all lighting designer extroverted, but like, I have to be able to work out here. Like I don't work here. I have to be able to work openly. I also have to work in public. Uh -huh. Everybody is there when actors and designers have that rare thing in which actors and lighting designers, I should say, we, all of our work is done in front of other people. Yep. You cannot, like you might have a smaller room, and only a couple people at first, but like, it's still the same. And when yeah. we, we don't get to make it privately and then somebody builds it and we go, Oh, paint it that way. Or yeah. even like listen to it on our headphones. No, so you have to be okay with that. You have to be really good with like a super high level of pressure and you have to let it roll off of you. I worked, I love Sean Graney. This will not surprise anybody who knew Sean Graney or listen to this. Sean could be very difficult in a tech. Uh -huh. um, not the easiest dude always in the world, but I love uh -huh. him to death. Yeah. Um, and there was an actor that we used to work with who just would marvel. We worked with this person so many times and um, was a big part of the company and would marvel at me because Sean would get tense and would be like really stressful and like pushing, pushing to get it done faster. And I would just let it all roll off. And it's because I have to be able to do that and know that this is my time, right? Reclaiming my time. I was like, oh yeah, right. I do that all the time. Right. Because I know that this is when I can do the thing. I also have to know when I can say, hey, you know what? I can do this later. I can do this without people yes. or it's taking too long and it's slowing us down and it's, it's killing our process. Yeah. It's, it's not letting us all move forward as a group right. and I'll deal with this thing later. Right. But, but I also know that I have to do it now and that's the way this process works it, until somebody changes it. I'm going to do it in the room. Yeah. And so I will, I will take my time. I have to be able to work as quickly as I can in that. And I have to know that I have to deal with the pressures from other people. And yeah. So it's like a little it. bit of, it's interesting. It's a, it's human relationships mixed with time management, mixed with reclaiming your time, mixed with knowing when to, um, yeah, when you can let go and say, okay, I'm going to do, but like, I, I don't think people, at least for, I'll speak for myself, uh, younger people think that you need, uh, not, the ones I encounter, my students too, like you need people skills as a designer. Oh, you <laughs> need people skill. Like you, you oh, yeah. just cause you're not an actor doesn't mean you don't, you know, you got to work with people. And I think you're from your interview, it's really clear that like, there's all different kinds of people you're going to work with and you're not going to get along with all of them, but you can also figure out a way Right. To still have the process be one of where you get your work done, get rehired if that's what you want and still be a kind human and work, you know, in the industry. And I think that's really interesting that you the rolling off the back. Yeah, because people in te in, in tech and in intense situations get bonkers, bonkers, yeah. bonkers, bonkers. 
years ago, I was assisting on a, on a production of the Scottish play in New York that uh, George Wolfe was directing that Angela Bassett and Alec Baldwin were starring in. Holy and the pressure, shit. Yep. And the pressure on it was super high. And then everybody who was a secondary person was like Liev Schreiber and Michael Hall and Zach Braff. I mean, it was- like Those are secondary people. Yeah, because they were babies that. Like Zach Braff had just finished school. Like, but still- but yeah, it was, it was just like- star-studded. And we, and the pressure was super high. Um, and the, and we were on the third floor of the building and the electric shop was in the basement and my designer was like yelling at me and I would pass it on. I would pass that energy on. And the assistant lighting supervisor took me out for pizza and was like, you can't do that. And he was like, you have to be the wall. And if you can't be the wall, this might not be your job. He's like, you can still be a designer, but assisting might not be the way you get there. And this guy must've been, I mean, he was maybe my age. He, yeah. he was probably younger than me. Right. His name was Todd. Greatest thing that ever happened to me. Yep. It changed me forever. Yep. I was like, you're right. That is my job. And actually I'm very good at that. I am a cheerleader. Yes. I am a person who cares about people and I have no problem. I mean, there will be times, I'm not trying to say I'm never put pressure on the people around me. I get impatient too. I'm not a patient person, but, but I can, I can pr- try to protect the people around me. And I, and I love my team, the people who make the lighting thing happen. You know, I kept, I, I, we won the, I did this production bug with David right yeah. before the pandemic. And then we just did it again. It just yeah. opened last week at Steppenwolf and we won the Jeff award for it. As I like to say, we won the Jeff award. Like my team won that award. I yeah. didn't do it by myself, yeah. but I actually took it in the first day of tech and we put it on the tech table for the second round. And I was like, everybody and my crew put a light on it and they would run the light up. And I was like, everybody may give me notes through the Jeff, the Jeff will accept all notes for me. That's hilarious. I will, just, I will speak to none of you. I will speak to Carrie Coon. Carrie Coon also won a Jeff, thus she may speak directly to me. Hilarious. Like just crack up, because what else do you do with an award? They're so right. weird. They're right. weird. Right. They're weird you know? and, and and they're weird and they're nice. And they're and you're oh, right. Yeah. Team effort. And it's the only way we have really as humans yeah. to acknowledge this stuff but in a in a sort of ceremony kind of a way. Yeah. But like, all right. Well, I just thank you for talking. Oh, absolutely. This was you're great. amazing. And I I you know, I just I'm always left when I talk to someone like you, I'm like left with this wish for young women to know that there's so many jobs and careers Mm -hmm. in the theater that you don't just have to be an actor or an actress or whatever you want to call yourself. There are so many things and, and find, and for me also, it's like, Oh my gosh, please find someone that's doing the thing you might want to do and ask them questions and see if you can get information, you know, like an informational interview, which is essentially what we do on this podcast is do an informational interview with people we went to school with and other people, but like get the information. So thank you for putting the information about your career and your journey out there for us. And we'll, we'll, um, keep in touch and you'll get a copy to review before we air it. And, um, but just thank you. Thank you so much. Totally. Totally. And I will send you guys some pictures. I I have to, Oh please. And you know, they're printed. I actually have to go into a box and find them. Although It's it's a whole thing. Yeah, much like everybody else, I went through all of those during the pandemic. So okay. I was trying to figure out if I had one with me and Keith, because that would be awesome. That would be amazing. But, but I was love, you can find. It's funny. I love telling people in the, in the lighting community that, like, I t- drove, we've been friends for so long. I drove him home from college for Christmas, his first year of college. That's, you know, hilarious. and then, and now he's like, like, he did his first Broadway show at Studio 54, and then I did my first Broadway show at Studio 54. Amazing. And like, yeah, I really love getting to share all of that with him. I, he, I, he, and he's a true and great artist. And I just, oh. You His know. drawing, I was, I, I was like, what? This is, it was so special to me. And nobody had ever given me a drawing that they have done of the show in their design drawing. And I, it was, I cherish it. So oh. yay designers and yay, um, yay people who really give a shit. So thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks Heather. liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.